Thank you so much, Rhonda and Rochelle. That, what a powerful message. The blood that Christ shed will never lose its power. By the way, that's the only way to heaven, folks. It's the only way to forgiveness. It's not religion. It's not doing what you can do. Pastor Monty, I'm just doing my best. That's not good enough. No matter how best is your best, it is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, alone that cleanseth us from all sin. Well, take your Bible with me, 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, as you are turning there, uh, let me mention this. I think I mentioned it before, but I want to mention it again. Um, uh, I had, I've had really what I could only describe as an overwhelming response to my Sunday school class, the book of Genesis, 147 students uh, in the gymnasium, nicely filling the gymnasium. Now, now listen carefully. You say, uh, by the way, a lot of folks that never been go to Sunday school are coming to Sunday school now, so I love that. That's really important. But if you're in a different class and you say, Pastor Monty, I don't want to miss Genesis. You don't have to miss it, okay? You can go online. It is all available online, including PDF downloads of the lessons, okay? Um, I don't even know what PDF stands for, but it, they're there, okay? All that stuff is out there. And then, um, and then if, you, if you say, well, I don't understand that, I want paper, I have a literature rack. Uh, it's in the, it's in the um, uh, gymnasium right now. We'll put it somewhere maybe in the lobby of the church so that you can actually get the printed lessons. Because if you're like me, you like to have the tactile lessons right in your hand. You like to feel the paper. I'm that way too. So doing everything that we can to provide, and you said, Pastor Marty, if I, if I go to that Sunday school, uh, my own Sunday school class or whatever is your class or whatever, and then if I listen to you, um, wow, that's just a lot of Bible. Amen. Amen. I want, the more Bible, the better, okay? The more we can get you in the Bible, the more we can get you off Facebook, to God be the glory. And so I, I, think, it'll, I think it'll all work out good. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in your Bible. I've read this past week, and really for the last several weeks, a lot of not what I would call news, but what I would call prognostication. Prediction. By the way, if you're, and I, I do read the Fox News app, I don't trust Fox News, just for the record. I don't trust, don't trust any of them, okay? Except Alex, just kidding. And, uh, but, uh, but I don't, I don't uh, trust it. But if you read the news, if you're really observant, rather than watching it on TV, if you're really observant about reading it, you're going to notice that a lot of news is not news, but it is prognostication. It is predicting what is going to come. And it usually starts out something like this. Experts say blah, 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 blah. And then it makes some wild-eyed prediction about what is to come. Now, it's fine to read those articles. I typically will read them. But understanding that that is nothing more than a prognostication, it's not telling me something that did happen. It's telling me something that the quote-unquote experts say might happen. Having said that, though, I've been struck in the last several weeks with how many doom and gloom predictions are in the news. So, for example, and how many have read this, that the housing market is about to collapse again? I've read that, yeah, and it might be, it might be. I don't know, because I'm not good with numbers, okay? I'm just, I'm just, just pay it off as quick as you can, folks. Pay off that house, own the thing as quick as you can. Do, do that. That's a, good, that's a good course of action, okay? Uh, but I don't know about that. Then somebody else said, well, Pastor Mati, they are preparing, and this is true. The World Health Organization, which is a very globalist organization that is headed by Satan himself, the World Health Organization, <laughs> you're supposed to laugh or something there. <laughs> Okay, did, did the cold freeze your brain? Get with me this morning, get with me. 
The World Health Organization is planning for a new disease called Disease X. How many have heard of that? And in the article that I read, it actually said Disease X is far worse than COVID. And it started listing symptoms of Disease X, and then it said there's no such thing as Disease X, but this is what it's going to be. By the way, if that doesn't give you pause, if that doesn't give you pause, so that, that's a potentiality, I suppose, for 2024, some would think. And we have the housing crisis, we have the disease crisis. Oh, guess what? We have the Super Bowl. Now, what do you, Pastor Monty, that's in February. I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about the one on the first Tuesday in November. See, for some of you who are really into sports, I'm really into politics, that's my Super Bowl right there. We have the Super Bowl coming. It's, 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 it affects my life personally, and it really, I like, some, you know, Pastor Monty, you know, they get, sometimes they get into a fight in a football game. You ever been to a hockey game? You know, go to a fight and a hockey game breaks out? That's pretty much what that is. <laughs> what, what am I going to have to do this morning? <laughs> not sure. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoy, I enjoy uh, the political realm because people get heated about it, okay? I, I like that. That's just a personal thing, okay? That's a personal thing. I enjoy that kind of thing. But then, of course, the predictions are rather dire. Something awful is going to happen, and they're very dire, and I won't go into those things. All of these predictions, listen carefully, if you flood your mind with it and believe it. It's okay to read it, but if you don't read thinking about it and realizing that these are prognostications and realizing that the Bible is against us trying to look into a crystal ball, if you, if you, it's okay to read it and to wonder maybe a little bit, but if you allow it to saturate your thinking, to dominate your concerns, worse yet, if you allow it to in, influence you, pardon me, to take action in regard to something that might be a little radical or extreme, that that's where things get off the rails. Well, Pastor Monty, it's coming. I know it's coming. You know what I know? Jesus is coming. Now, having said that, having said that, though, every once in a while, whether it be in our lives as a nation, a society of people, whether it be in our lives as a church, or whether it be in our lives of individuals, we face really difficult times. I'm going to talk about personal things this morning, as far as what affects you, what affects me. In other words, every once in a while, something hits us out of the clear blue, and we find our back is against the wall. What do you do then? Every once in a while, it seems like in life, maybe it's your personal life, maybe it's your health, maybe it's the loss of a loved one, but all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, the rug gets pulled out from under you. Well, where do you look then? Where do you look when it seems like every morning the skies are dark and gloomy and foreboding and a storm is gathering on the horizon of your life? Where do you look then? Where do you look when everything that was good seems to have turned bad? And in a moment you seem to have gone from a blessed life to a cursed life, from Job when he was the most prosperous to Job when he was the deepest into his problems. What do you do and where do you look? This morning we're going to talk about that. Because whether you're going through something or not, every person in this room will be. And may I make another prediction, if I may. 
in 2024, you'll experience something similar to what we're talking about in Scripture. Where do I look? Where do I look when the rug gets pulled out from under my life? In difficult times, we need to know where to look. Now, thankfully, the Lord's revealed that to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The key idea really, and I want you to drop to that, I'll say more in a moment, but the key idea is this, verse 17. Paul summarizes his teaching. He actually reaches a conclusion and a crescendo. He begins with words of real reality, not made up, of real despair. And then he comes to a glorious conclusion. I want you to see the conclusion before we get into the process of how he got there. The Bible says in verse number 17, for our light affliction. What is he talking about? A moment ago in our scripture reading, we read about that, persecution. We read about the fact that uh, he was pressed against the wall. He was pushed down. He was cast down. Read all about that early in the chapter. But then Paul comes to the conclusion that as awful as those things were, and if you want to read about them, read the book of Acts. As awful as those things were, he says in verse 17, for our light affliction, light affliction, not pressed up against the wall, but, but now he's changed his view, and it seems like it's just a little brush. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Look at verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's very interesting to me that how we perceive something in life is how we respond to it. When I say that, I'm talking about not only our active response, the things that we do, but I'm talking about the way that we think. Because many of us, myself included, torment ourselves by how we think about circumstances more than the circumstance itself. Uh, something bad can happen. How many are like this? Something bad happens, and then you build it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until all of a sudden it's going to ruin your life. Anyone ever like that? Yeah, I could be that way. Okay, all five of you. After the service, meet me down here. We'll start the crazy club. It could be that. But, I, I, you know, people do this. Pass money, if the economy goes bad, I'll lose my job. If I lose my job, I won't be able to find another job. If I'm not able to find another job, I won't be able to pay the house payment. If I can't make the house payment, I'm going to be kicked out on the, the street. If I get kicked out on the street, I've got nowhere to go except to live in a refrigerator box under a bridge with my family. You know what that's called? It's called catastrophizing. And many of us are guilty of that. But where do we look when the rug gets pulled out from under us? Now, it is not denying, listen carefully, the reality of problems. We're going to get into a little grocery list of Paul's problems. Well, Pastor Monty, all you just have to do is, is dress in a real fine suit, have long curly hair, get on a platform and declare everything is wonderful. Can I clue you in on something? Everything is not wonderful. We're not Christian science practitioners who, when they are sick, pretend they are not sick. That is not Christianity. It's not even sound psychology. We do not deny the reality of negative and problems. But what Paul is teaching here, and where to look, is to look beyond those things. So where should we look? That's the big question. Number one, write this down. We should look to the power of God. Now, a moment ago, we read verses 8 through 18, but I want us to back up one verse to verse 7. 
In verse number seven, Paul makes an interesting statement. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, now what is the treasure? In verses one through six, the ministry of the gospel, the gospel itself. A broader context could be the words that come from the Lord, but primarily the message of the gospel and the ministry of the gospel. And Paul says this, we have this treasure, the gospel, in earthen vessels. What's an earthen vessel? How many of you all have fine china at home? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. How, how, how many of you all know that fine china is irrelevant today? <laughs> it really is. It really is. That beautiful set of china that your grandmother passed down to you that you think is very good. People won't take it if you, if you try to give it away. Same thing true with that 10-piece dinette set with the hutch and the buffet. Nobody wants that anymore. And how beautiful it is. It's become irrelevant. Fine china, though, has to be cared for. You have to wash that by hand. You cannot put it in the dishwasher. You have to wash it by hand. Boy, we had a problem with our dishwasher the other day. It's been an ongoing, can I share one of the trials of my life? <laughs> it's been an ongoing problem. For the longest time, it wouldn't drain. You know, dishwashers don't drain when the drain is clogged. It took me months to come up with that. Well, actually, all I did was think about it. I didn't actually dig into it for months. You say, what happened? Kelly just did dishes the old-fashioned way, just like a, just like a pioneer woman. It was, it was good. It was beautiful. It was beautiful to watch. And, um, and I helped, by the way. Do you know that I helped? Do you know that I helped? How many men do you help with the dishes? Yeah, good for you guys. Good for you. Do you know how to get out of it? Drop one, okay? And uh, you're done forever. But we got that problem fixed, and then there was a problem where that spinny thing that shoots water up, that thing, that thing, it, it, it came loose, and it flew off while it was working, and then it hit the round thing that gets hot, the, the burner element, and it burned right through the burner element. I, I came downstairs from my office, and I said, I said, Kelly, it smells like you're burning something. She said, oh, I wish you hadn't noticed that. I opened the dishwasher, it was that plasticky smell, and it had two perfectly burned holes, ruined the whole thing. I said, no problem, no problem at all. I said, I can fix this. Uh, $22 on Amazon, get the part. The part shows up. I said, no problem at all, I can fix this. Because all you have to do, folks, is click it. You just click it down. That's all it takes is clicking it down. I clicked it down, but I didn't secure the part that it was connected to. So I said, Kelly, it's all fixed. She ran the dishwasher, it did the same thing, <laughs> burned through. So if she was responsible for number one, I was responsible for number two. Spasmani, what did you do? Ordered another one, isn't Amazon wonderful? Oh, earthen vessels, that's where it was. You don't put the fine china in a dishwasher but you can put the cheap stuff in a dishwasher or the stuff that's made for that. An, an earthen vessel is not describing the finest of things, it's utilitarian. An earthen vessel might have some level of imperfection about it. And he says, we have this treasure, speaking of us as human beings, speaking of us as Christians, we have this treasure, the gospel, in earthen vessels, why? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Do you know what we need to do in our lives? When the rug gets pulled out from under us, number one, we need to look to the power of God. It is not unusual for earthen vessels to have a lot of wear and tear. 
It is not unusual for an earthen vessel to develop a crack. None of that is unusual. But what is unusual is that God chose to place the majestic message of the saving gospel in earthen vessels, vessels of imperfection, sometimes vessels that aren't that pretty, vessels maybe that have stains. Do you ever get an earthenware or some kind of dishes that get stains on them? You ever get that? You can't get it out? That happens sometimes. But God in his grace and mercy said, I'm going to give the message of salvation to imperfect people for them to impart to imperfect people. And I'm going to do it for this purpose, that the excellency of the glory of the power of God is seen in me through them, and that God gets the glory. Now, having said that, we look to the power of God, but our frailty ultimately demonstrates his power. I want to point something out to you this morning. Think about the times in your life When God delivered you, when your back was against the wall. Pastor Monty, I wish I just had the ability to just overcome everything, boom, instantly. No, no, no. You're an earthen vessel. There are imperfections, there are cracks. Your back is against the wall. But look at all the times God delivered you. You say, why do you say that? Because in the very next verse, verse number eight, look at this with me, please. Paul, having said we are... We have the treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels. He said, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. A lot of trouble in Paul's life. Read the book of Acts. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Look at me. A lot of questions in Paul's mind. Did you follow? Well, Pastor Monty, if I was a good Christian, I wouldn't have any questions. You know, you'd be brain dead in that case. Of course, Christian people have questions. Verse number nine. Persecuted but not forsaken. Paul's looking back on his life right now. Cast down but not destroyed. He's looking back. Verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. What is Paul saying? He's saying the power of the gospel does not rest in me because I am an earthen vessel, but it does rest in God's ability to deliver. Let's look through that list again real quick. He says we're troubled. What does the word troubled mean? It literally means hard-pressed. It can mean back against the wall. It can mean, I've, sometimes we use this phraseology, I've hit a wall. But he says we're not distressed. What does distressed mean? We're not crushed. We don't collapse. That's the power of God. Ever drop a dish and you're surprised it didn't break? Yeah, yeah, I've done that too. Man, this must be a well-made dish. It didn't break. God allows us from time to time to have our back against the wall, and we don't have to break. And Paul was saying, look back at those times and understand that that is a manifestation of the power of God. It's not your own strength. Because we have this treasure in earthen vessels, but rather it is a manifestation of the power of God. He says we're perplexed. I love that in verse number eight, the second part of the verse. He says we're perplexed. In other words, we're a little bit confused. Did something ever enter your life? And you scratched your head for a moment and thought, wow, where did that come from? Pastor Monty, I should never question. No, no, you're an intelligent person. God made you that way. Pastor Monty, I should never be confused. 
There's a lot of things in life that confuse us. But do you know what he says? He said, well, we may have a question where we may be confused. We're perplexed. He says, we're not in despair. Follow me. There's a difference between wondering what God is doing and wondering if there's a God. Did you hear what I just said? Well, we're very shallow in our lives today. Our Christian experience is very shallow because rather than than saying, well, I wonder what God's doing. When the least little thing happens, we trash on God. We throw him out there, "Ah, you know, if God was real, he wouldn't let this, 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 and this happen to me. He must therefore not be real. Oh yeah, and the whole world revolves around you, baby. Do you see the mentality there? Okay, rather than questioning God, or saying somehow that God isn't doing the right thing, or that God missed this, or that somehow God has has dropped the ball. Rather than saying that, it's okay to wonder what is God doing, but still acknowledge him. I can be perplexed, but not in despair. Why? Because hope kills despair. Now let me give you something for those of you who are readers. I've recommended the book before. Dr. Lee Warren, Dr. Lee Warren, is a neurosurgeon, he's a Christian author, has written a number of wonderful books. His latest book, Hope is the First Dose, is one of the best books a Christian can read if you're going through tragedy. That book, because he went through his own. By the way, when, when, when someone, well, Pastor Monty, you know, I, I can talk about tragedy because I've got all the theory down. No, no, no. I want to hear from someone who's been there. That's all I'm interested in. I, I, if, someone, if I'm going on a journey and I need information, I don't need the guy who has the theory down. Well, Pastor Monty, I've got a map. I want the guy who's been there. Dr. Lee Warren in his life has been there. I highly recommend his book, Hope is the First Dose. Why? Because in this, we understand there's never a cause for despair. The idea of the word despair means to fall completely apart It carries the idea of just having a total breakdown and meltdown that is impossible to extricate oneself from. I'm going to tell you something. No matter how deep the hurt, there is always hope. He says, we're perplexed, we're not in despair. Then the next one, verse number nine, he says, we're persecuted. That means we're hated, we're maligned. There are people who don't say nice things about us. Now look at me, look at me. If you're out to win a popularity contest, good luck with that. It's not going to happen. And I personally believe in 2024 there is going to be heightened persecution. Maybe I should use this word. Persecution may be too strong. Heightened censure of believers. More and more people are going to tell you what you can and cannot say. By the way, don't fall for that. You're an American. More and more people are going to try to box you in or to try, try to say, well, you know, they're kind of in that crazy nutcase or, or they're part of that extremist right-wing terrorist group, blah, blah. People are going to do that. It's not quite persecution. It's mainly censure. But Paul said we're persecuted. Now look at the next words. But not forsaken. Well, I mean, everybody hates me. Not everybody. If you're standing for God, he is with you. At one point, Paul said, all men forsook me, but the Lord stood with me. And I'd rather be on God's side than to have ten thousands of thousands. 
And Christians, we better recognize that. When the pressure comes and there's going to be an attempt to cause us to conform to some globalistic thinking, when the pressure comes, we better be ready. Paul it doesn't matter. I'm hated, I'm maligned, I'm persecuted, but I'm never alone. Then look at verse number nine, the second part of the verse. He says, cast down, cast down. It's almost as if in the picture, the word picture, is some men grappling, two men grappling, and one casts the other down and pounces on top of him. It's kind of a grappling term. It means literally to be beaten down. He says, I've been cast down, but I'm not destroyed. I'm not defeated. Now, by the way, why is all this possible? Why is all this possible? For an earthen vessel, all of this level of abuse would mean it would be shattered into a thousand pieces if it were not for the power of God. Here's what I'm trying to get you to see. Paul did this. He looked back on his life and said, man, I've been in some tight spots. Man, I've been, been in some rough rubs. I've been in a bad place sometimes. It's been very negative. It's been very dark. But every single time God's power delivered me, and I'm not Superman. I'm not the greatest person in the world. I don't have the strongest mindset in the world. I'm not someone that can overcome all these things on a natural level. Look to the power of God. The point is this. The power of God has always delivered in the past. I should look to his power. Pastor Monty, how do you know it's delivered me in the past? Look at me. You're still with us. You're still with us. Well, I I had some bruises and I had some bumps. Welcome to reality. You'll never get through life without some bruises and bumps. Well, Pastor Monty, I had some injuries. You'll never get through life without some injuries. But you're still here. Life maybe knocked you down, but it could not keep you down. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the power of God. What's the second thing quickly I need to look at? Not only do I look to the power of God, but I look to the promise of the future. Now drop down in our passage to verse number 13 quickly. Drop down to 13. The Bible says, We having the same spirit of faith. If you underline in your Bible, that would be a really good place to underline, because I'm going to come back to that. (laughs) We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. What in the world is that talking about? It's talking about a promise of the future. Follow it through. Verse 14. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus. We're talking about Jesus in his death and burial, then resurrection. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus. Now, does everyone see this? Regardless of what happens in my present moment, there is a glorious promise of the future. Where am I to look? I'm to look back in my life to the fact that God has really gotten me out of some tight spots, and that's his power. I'm to presently look at whatever I'm facing, and I'm going to say, even if the worst happens, it can't keep me down. I got knocked down, but I didn't stay down. Well, we can't shut him up, we'll just kill him. That's exactly what the Romans did to the Christians. Can't shut him up, so we'll kill him. Didn't work. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And let me inform you of this, that everyone who died for the name of Christ will one day rise again. You can't beat them. Years ago, there was a, a famous preacher, evangelist, Dr. John R. Rice, years ago. What a great man. 
Dr. Rice was, had preached a message somewhere. Sometimes he could be a, a hair controversial. Don't you love it when a preacher's a little controversial? I love that. It's people listening, you know, they get interested. People, no matter how civilized you think you are, you all like a good dog fight. And so, okay, people for the ethical treatment of animals do not contact me over that because you like a good dog fight as much as anyone else. You're just a liar and won't admit to it. So, <laughs> a little bit controversial, John Rice finished preaching a message and Afterwards, he stayed at the church for a while. He was headed back to his car or something like that. And a man came up to him, angry, angry. And he had a gun in his hand. And he told the Rice, he said, I ought to shoot you right now. And John Rice's response to that was, these words, you can't scare me with heaven. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's really what Paul was saying. We're looking to the prospect of eternity, or pardon me, we're looking to the promise of the future. How? By the spirit of faith in verse 13. Now listen carefully to this. The spirit of faith, and you've got to hear this so you get the message. The spirit of faith, Pastor Monty, I'm believing God. Great. Now tune in. The spirit of faith is not getting my way. Mm. All of a sudden, it got kind of quiet. Pastor Mind, this ain't what the charismatic preacher told me. No, no, this is a Bible preacher here. The spirit of faith is not getting my way. The spirit of faith is trusting God's way. Do you know what the word trust? The spirit of faith does not insist that God do everything the way I think he should or that God do anything that I think he should. That is a spirit of expectation that is built in our pride that somehow we think we know how God should act. We know what God should do. And what that happens is if we don't get our own way, like an entitled two-year-old, like an entitled 30-year-old, if we don't get our own way, all of a sudden we get mad at God, and though we may not say it, we think we would do a better job at being God. That's not faith. That is the height of hubris. It is incredible presumption. So the spirit of faith is not getting my way. It's not me getting my way. The spirit of faith is trusting God's way. The point of faith is not to force the hand of God so things turn out as you want. Pastor Money, if I have enough faith, I can force the hand of God. Wrong. And by the way, it doesn't take a whole lot of faith to see a response from God. Jesus said, if your faith is the size of a grain of mustard seed, that faith can move mountains. But the point of faith is not to force the hand of God so things turn out the way you want. The point of faith is to commit to God regardless of the outcome. That's real faith. That's real faith. Oh, okay, God, listen to me. I'm going to try to be reverent, but I'm going to illustrate this. We have a dog. We have a dog. We don't have a cat. I do like cats. Somebody said, you, you hate, I don't, I don't. I like cats. I like other people's cats. And you, we have a dog. Do you know dog owners? How many of you know that dogs are needy? Oh yeah. Cats, on the other hand, they're very independent. But cats don't miss you when you're gone. Cats don't really care. and Cats don't even need you to feed them because they can catch mice. Dogs, on the other hand, are, are, they're super needy creatures. 
our, our, our dog, he's a pit bull. Pit bull. When I got that pit bull, Pastor Scotty Thompson said to me, he said, you are so redneck and white trash. <laughs> Loved it. I'll take those labels anytime. Loved it. I mean, Scotty was serious. He was saying, you're white neck and red trash. Or white trash, whatever it is. <laughs> Tongue tied this morning. That little dog, his name is Buddy. Buddy the Pitbull. That, <laughs> he's a miniature pit. He's little. He's just little. He's just little. That, that dog attached himself to Miss Kelly. I'm going to make, it's disgusting. <laughs> he will not come when I call. He, he, but, but, here's the interesting thing. If I want him to come around, all I have to do is get up and go to the kitchen. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's right there. And if I come back with something, if I come back pretending there's something in my hand, but if I come back with something in my hand, <laughs> he looks so happy and so sweet, and his eyes are just saying, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Give him, the, give him the treat, he goes away. So sometimes to get him to come to me, I have to have a treat in my hand. May I use that illustration? God does not need the treat of your faith. Hear what I just said? Now, what is faith? Faith is not me saying, God, I'll believe in you if you do this, 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 and this, and if you don't, God, you know, I'm out of here. That's not faith. Faith is when I say, God, I believe even if I can't figure it out. God, I believe regardless of the outcome. God, I still believe. I look to faith as being something that is unshakable. The objects of our faith quickly are God's word. In verse 13, Paul quoted an Old Testament passage, Psalm 116, verse 10. For the sake of time, I won't read all of that this morning, but I'd encourage you to read verses 1 through 10 of Psalm 116. But the psalmist there was saying, in the midst of his affliction, I believed. And Paul, having listed the afflictions in the earlier part of the chapter, which we covered, Paul, having listed that, he said, I'm going to echo the sentiment of the psalmist. I believed in the depth of my affliction. I still trusted God. In other words, the object of my faith is God's word. God's word. It's all going to change, folks. It's all going to fall apart. Everything is temporary. Nothing is permanent. Where should I place my trust? Right in this book. It's God's word. I believe that. The other object of my faith, verse 14, is a glorious future. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. What, what is that about? Nothing can ultimately do me in, not even death. It's also knowing that God is going to give us gracious daily help. I believe in that. So God doesn't always deliver from my problem, but he always gets me through my problem. God doesn't always make it so my back's no longer against the wall because sometimes God decides to leave you there for his own purposes for a period of time. But God always helps you day by day. Look at verse number 15. For all things are for your sakes, church of Corinth, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Verse 16. For which cause we faint not. What does that mean? We're not going to collapse. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish. Yeah, the outward man does perish. By the way, should the Lord tarry us coming and we live long enough? 
Every person in this room, including yours truly, will witness the perishing of the outward man. Some of you are watching it in your own lives faster than others. Some of you notice how often you have to clean hair out of the drain. Do you know why? Because you're losing it. But Pastor Monty's going to grow back. <laughs> it isn't. It's gone, it's gone, unless you go to hair club for men. That'll fix that, but down the drain. What is that? That's the outward man perishing. What is it when the doctor tells us we have an illness or disease? That's the outward man perishing. What is it when we wake up suddenly with aches and pains? That's the outward man perishing. What is it when we come to the conclusion that we cannot do... How many... Guys, listen to me. Be honest, guys. How many of you would be honest say, Pastor Monty... There's things I can't do anymore that I used to do. Thank God for you. You're a blessing to me. It's an encouragement. Okay? Yeah, there's a lot of things like that. You know what that is? That is the outward man perishing. Now now watch this, verse 17. uh, Pardon me, verse 16. For which cause we faint not. We're not going to collapse. But though our outward man perish, note the next words, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Do you know what I know? The God I believe in may not change the circumstance, but the God I believe in will get me through the next day. I really hope you heard that. Well, Pastor Monty, if God was really God, he would do X, Y, and Z, and he'd prove himself to me. Look at me. You're not the center of the universe. God is under no obligation to prove himself. Now, sometimes he does in his grace, but God is under no obligation to prove himself to you. What God asks is that I believe. And do you know what I can believe? I can believe that the inward man can be renewed day by day. That while I may not feel like I can go on, I can make it the next day. And while I may feel that my back is still against the wall and I'm still praying and I'm still believing, but it hasn't changed the way that I want it to, I can still recognize that I wake up in the morning, I maybe crawl through a day and struggle through that day. God renews me during that day. My strength kind of comes back. At the end of the day, I'm totally exhausted. But God got me through another day. And when people really, really, really go through it, it's day by day by day. I can look to the promises of the future and trust that. Lastly, I can look to the prospect of eternity. Covered it already, verse 17. Paul said, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more in exceeding, notice this, eternal weight of glory. Notice the juxtaposition of the words in verse 17, momentary and eternal. Verse 18, where we look not on the things which are seen, but on the things which are not seen. Another juxtaposition of the words, things seen, things not seen. And then he says, for the things that are seen, he identifies them are temporal, temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. I need to look to the prospect of eternity. The prospect of eternity puts affliction in its proper perspective. Oh, Pastor Mona, I just can't believe what happened, and I'm just going to fall apart right here. I'm going to have a snowflake meltdown. And then one day, when we're sitting on our front porch in our mansion in heaven, and we're kind of thinking about some of this in a big golden rocking chair, rocking back and forth, 
all of it's going to seem so petty. Look at me. It's all going to seem so small. Have you ever gone up in an airplane and looked out the window on a clear day? And everything looks so petty and small. It's so insignificant. That dishwasher problem that almost caused a divorce. I, I mean, I didn't say that. <laughs> it's all so petty and insignificant. Why? Because when I look at it in the light of eternity, it's different. Paul said it's a light affliction now. It's interesting how he started out saying, I'm troubled on every side. I'm not distressed, but I'm troubled. I'm perplexed. Don't know what God is doing. I've been cast down. I'm not sure about that. And on top of it, I'm under threat of death. I'm bearing in my body, carrying with it the very threat of death for the sake of the gospel. This is so awful. And it comes to the end of it. He says, wait a minute. If I take the eternal look, it's all different. It puts our affliction in proper perspective. The eternal look takes every problem as temporary, but for a moment, but for a moment. The things of earth that caused my heart to tremble. You know this song. Remembered there will only bring a smile. That's so true. This eternal look, it puts present affliction in the proper perspective. It puts every problem as temporary. It teaches me that every problem grows me. Why? For a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. There's something about going through the fire that purifies us for the presence of God in heaven. Every problem then is ultimately solved. Every problem. Are you hearing me? Please, church, this is a big view. This is a big view, looking at eternity. Every problem is being solved as time melts into eternity. While well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Why? For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The real, the eternal, the eternal is more real than what we call real because what we call real is confined to time and space. The eternal is more real than what we call real because the things that we call real are confined to a moment and one day they will all be gone. So why do I pay attention to them? Because I'm a human being. Because I have this treasure, the gospel, my salvation. Because I have this treasure in an earthen vessel. It's a real imperfect vessel. It's got some chips. It's got some cracks. It's got some problems. But why would God do that? That the excellency of the glory of power might rest in God and not in me. See, things are not perfect here in this world. But I'm not staying here forever. Amen. Problems, then are really could be seen as speed bumps on the road to eternity. And hear this last thought and I'm done. In the grand scheme of things, what matters most is the grand scheme of things. Think about that. In the grand scheme of things, what matters most is the, it's not the details. It's not the little picky this, little picky that and problem. Oh, I got so wound up. People get so wound up over nothing today wasting all kinds of emotional energy over something that is not important. In the grand scheme of things, what matters is the grand scheme of things, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is eternity. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for 
an entire chapter dedicated to teaching us where to look. Because, Lord, we're earthbound. We have feet of clay. We are earthen vessels. Everything about our makeup is connected to this earth. Father, because of that, it's so tempting for us to think like earthlings alone. But Lord, we are not. Those of us who know Christ as Savior, we are children of the King. We are sons and daughters of God. And help us, Lord, to recognize that reality overshadowing every fear, every insecurity, everything that causes our hearts to tremble. Help us remember, Lord, that if we think about it there, it will only bring a smile. Spirit of God, if someone's here that is not saved, I pray you'll work upon their heart to come to Christ, in whom they can find confidence and living and joy and peace. And Father, for those of us who know you, help us, Lord, to quit looking so hard at things that are temporary. And Lord, let us, through the eyes of faith, look at those things that are eternal. Speak to every heart through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Stand with me, please. Everyone will stand together.